what it means to be, what, what he requires of us for us to be followers of his. And, and we need to know that. We're all here followers of Christ, and we need to know what he expects of us, what he requires, what it takes. And this final one that we're going to look at today, the last one he gives us in this chapter, and then we'll move, up, move on, is what I would consider the most important one. He says here in these last few verses, verses 33 through 42, that if we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then we must be faithful. And that's a good word. Uh, that's a word that we need to grab a hold of today. And we need to pray for ourselves that we would be found faithful. We want to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. And I've titled the sermon today, How to Be a Faithful Follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read these verses to you, and you'll see it as we go as he calls us to a lifetime of faithfulness. So starting there in verse, uh, we're going to look at verse 33 and go through verse, uh, or verse 34 and go through verse 42. Verse 34 says, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I am come not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and daughter against mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes, his enemies, shall be they of his own household. And he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's a sobering verse right there. Verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Uh, so let's, let's pray together, and then I'm going to teach us today, all of us here today, how to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words and that you don't pull any punches. You don't hide anything from us. You don't try to trick us into following you. You let it, uh, put it out in bold print. This is what it takes. This is what it means. This is what is required. And God, I pray that we would look at this today and see what it says and that you would help us, enable us to be faithful followers. I want that in my life. I want that out of the people in this church. And I know you want that out of us, to be faithful today, tomorrow, all the way to the end, that we would be found faithful. So God, help us to do that today. And if there's anyone in here that has never truly followed you, I pray that today would be the day that they would make that most important decision in life, to become a follower of Jesus. Bless this time as we read and as we study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to show you just starting out what it means to be faithful. We hear that word a lot, uh, but I, I went to the dictionary. You guys know I do this a lot. I'm a word guy. I love looking up words. I, 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 I live my life with words, so I, I want to know what they mean, and I want to know other words. So I looked up faithful, because I think we have a, maybe an idea of what faithful means, but do we really know what it means to be faithful? So let me give you a few words to describe faithfulness. It's to be loyal. I love the word loyalty. It's a great word. It's to be loyal. It's to be constant. It's to be steadfast. It's to be resolute. 
And it could be uh, to be firm, unswerving, unmoving to someone or something, a pledge that you've made, uh, uh, an allegiance that you've made, a promise that you've made. You're going to be faithful to your word. You're going to be faithful to that person. You're going to be faithful to that cause. You're going to be faithful to that, that church. Whatever it is you've promised or pledged or, or given yourself to, you will have an unswerving, unmoving, constant faithfulness to that that you've made. It's a great word, and, and, and this is a, a, a characteristic that's de- desired. We all want faithfulness, don't we? In my marriage, the, the number one thing that I want out of my wife is her faithfulness, and she wants that out of me. If you were to ask her, what's the number one thing you want out of your husband other than to, for, for him to stop using her in sermons? That would be number two. But number one would be I, I want him to be faithful to me. We want that in our marriages. We want that of our friends. You don't want a friend that's uh, fickle. You don't want one that's unfaithful. That's, that's like an, a yo-yo. A friend that's up and, and down. You guys ever play with a yo-yo? That's up sometimes and down sometimes. That's not what you want out of a friend. I want a friend who is faithful. We want a friend that's going to stick closer to us than a brother. That's what we want. We want that out of our children. We want that out of our parents. I want that out of my dog. I'm just being honest with you. I want a dog that's faithful. I've got a dog that's faithful. Everywhere I go, she goes. I mean, she's on my leg everywhere. Every room I go outside, she's on my leg. If I say go, she's, she goes. If I say come here, she comes here. i got a faithful dog. I don't want a dog that's going to be like somebody else walks in the house and like, no, I like him better. I want a dog that says, this is my guy. We want faithfulness. Nobody wants a, an unfaithful friend, an unfaithful dog, an unfaithful spouse. We don't want, again, somebody's here today and gone tomorrow. We don't want fickle relationships and get this just like we want faithfulness from those who are closest to us God wants faithfulness out of those who follow him that's what he wants out of us and I think he wants that more than anything else that we would just be faithful he doesn't want unfaithful flighty tossed to and fro followers first Corinthians 4 says this it is required that a man be found faithful do you know what God put the uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith? You know how those men got in there? Faithfulness. That's what he's looking for on the earth. He's looking, and you can see that in the Old Testament and the New, he's looking around in the world to see if he can find faithfulness. That's what he's after. That's what he wants out of his people is faithfulness. He doesn't want us to be, again, here today and gone tomorrow, up sometimes and down sometimes. He wants us to be faithful followers of him. He wants us to be constant, steady, unswerving, unmoving, always following Him. And that's what He's calling us to in Matthew chapter 10. He's demanding this of His followers. He's called the twelve here in Matthew 10, and He's called them, uh, come and, and follow Me. And it's not just the, the twelve that he's, that he's called. Thirteen times in the gospel, He calls us to follow Him. He says, whosoever wants to can can follow me. I believe this with all of my heart. If Jesus was standing up here today and preaching to you guys, you'd probably listen a little bit better. You'd probably have your eyes open and your ears open. You'd put down your phones and you'd be listening. But you know what he would say to you today if he was standing up here? He would look at you and he'd say, follow me. Follow me. Do what I say. Follow me. And be faithful in your following. And he's told us that. When he says follow, he tells us what to expect. And I'm just kind of giving you a summary where we've been so far. He's repeatedly told us it won't be easy. If you want to follow me, you can expect it to be hard. He doesn't hide the cost. He doesn't mark down the price. It's not in fine print. He puts it in bold print. It's going to be hard. Billy Graham said this. When Jesus called us to follow him, he didn't call us to a picnic. 
but to persecution. He didn't call us to frolic, but to fight. He didn't call us to an excursion, but to an execution. It's going to be hard. Everybody in here needs to understand that. If you want to follow Jesus, it's going to be hard. There's no easy button to following Jesus. And if we're going to go out and it's going to be hard, he expects us to be loyal, faithful. Not just on this trip. But on every trip they'll go on for the rest of their lives, all the way to the end, he says, be faithful to me. That's what he wants from us. That's what he wants from them. Never give up. Never let up. Cross the finish line. Go all the way. Jesus demands faithfulness today, tomorrow, next week, all the way to the end of our lives. He wants all of us in here to follow him faithfully. There's no place for fickle followers in Christianity. And this is good for us today. For me, this is what I want more than anything else. I want to be a faithful follower of Christ. For you, there's nothing more I want for you around this room than for you to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For him to look down at this church and say, those people are faithful to me. There's nothing more in this world I want. So this sermon that we're going to look at today, this lesson that we're going to teach, is of the utmost importance to us today. I want to teach myself and I want to teach you how to be faithful followers of Christ. This is what he wants from us. Let's learn how to do it. So as you guys know, we, we usually do three points in this sermon. I want to show you how to be a faithful follower of Christ. And, and these three points are just going to be, you want to be faithful, do this. You want to be faithful, do this. You want to be faithful, do this. I would write these things down. And keep them close by so that you can always know how to be a faithful follower of Christ. Number one, looking at verses 34 through 37, is the supreme devotion that it takes to be faithful. The supreme devotion, the highest devotion that it takes. That you're going to be more devoted to Christ than anything else, anybody else in the world. That's what it takes. And look what it says. I I want to show you how he starts this out. And this is a very surprising statement that he makes here. Because he says in verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. He's saying, think not. Don't be fooled. Don't be under the illusion that your whole life is going to be easy and peaceful. Because that's not what's going to happen to you. He says, "Don't, don't, don't think that. Don't think it's all going to be good. It's not going to be peace. But it's going to be, you see that? I came not for peace, but a sword. So Jesus is saying here, and we've all heard him say that he is the prince of peace, that he he came and the angels uh, exclaimed, uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He's the peacemaker, we understand that. So what does he mean by this? I've not come to bring peace for you, but I've came to bring a, a sword in your life. What does a sword do? I thought about bringing a sword out here today. I didn't have one, so I didn't bring one. You guys would have been real scared if I brought out a big broad sword up here today. But what does a sword do? Does a sword mend and bring together? Or does a sword cut and divide? A sword divides. If you have a big broad sword and you're going to cut something, it's going to, it's going to split that thing in two, is it not? If you, if you take a, a sword to, to it, let's, let's take it even down. If you take a knife to a cake, it isn't going to bring that cake together. It's going to split it apart. 
It's going to divide it. And that's what he's saying here. I've come to, to split. I've come to divide. A sword is a symbol of, of war and division. A sword separates two sides from each other. And that's what he's saying. This sword is, is going to draw battle lines. So that when this sword cuts, the sword that I bring will separate people from each other. There's going to be two sides here. And you're going to be at war with each other. That's what he says here. In this, in this life that you're going to live, there's going to be two sides. Look, look at what he says. He gives us three words here as he goes on. For I am come to set. I'm come to divide. That word set means to, to, to bring a, a separation from. And then he says at variance. To cut. You see that I've come to set a, a man at variance. And then he uses the word against three times. I've come to cut and to set you against. Which means you are now going to be facing each other. You're going to be fighting each other. You're going to be at war with each other. You're going to be enemies with. Do you see that? I'm separating. And on one side is going to be these people. And on this side is going to be these people. And they're going to be at variance. They're going to be at war. They're going to be against each other. And the question is, who's going to be at war with each other? Where is he going to bring this separation in our lives? This is serious stuff. Look what he says. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law I've come to divide the most intimate place in your life I've come to divide the most personal relationships that you have I've come to divide and to fracture your home those closest to you those that you would assume to, be, assume to be inseparable. That this is how your family is. This is how you would be, and he says here, with your father. But I've come with a sword that's going to separate a son from his father. I've come to separate a, a, a mother from her daughter. I've come to separate in-laws away from each other. I've come to bring a sword to those relationships that you thought would never break. This isn't neighbors. If we separate from our neighbors, you're going to think, ah, no big deal. This isn't separating from your boss or your friends. These are the most intimate personal relationships that we have. And following Jesus will bring a division between us and our family. Luke chapter 12 says, in a home, there'll be in a family of five, there'll be three on this side and two on this side. He's bringing a separation, a division in the home. That's how close it'll cut. And again, he's not, our separation with our family will not be our personality. It's not going to be uh, how mean we are or how uh, argumentative we might be or unkind or rude. That's not going to be the separation. It's going to be us following Christ will cause a separation in our homes. Son and his father, mother and daughter, in-laws. And that's a common thing. You say, I, I, I don't see that. In the Bible, it was constant. Brother against brother, you want to think Cain and Abel? First family, there was a division between one who did what's right and one who did what's wrong. And the one that was doing what's right was murdered because he did right by his brother. You have Jacob and Esau. And we just keep on going. Families divided over and over and over because they chose to follow God. 
It's not just biblically, it's historically. We see it repeatedly if you read church history. That somebody will get saved and follow Christ, and before you know it, they're at, they're at odds with their husband. They're at odds with their wife. They're at odds with their children. They're at odds with their parents where they disown them. You're no longer in our wheel. You're no longer in our family. You don't belong to us. How dare you follow Christ? And that, that following Him is creating separation, cutting a family down the middle. And some of you in here know that pain. You've had family members get upset with you, get mad at you, not talk to you at Thanksgiving and Christmas, all because, not because you're mean, not because you're argumentative, not because of your politics, but all because you follow Jesus Christ. Some of us have felt that pain. Maybe it's friends, maybe it is a boss, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's a neighbor, but you felt that sword come through your relationships and separate. Verse 36, let's go on. And a man's foes, his enemies, shall be those in his own household. The sword comes in and cuts. And on one side there's family, and on the other side there's Jesus. That's where he's getting with this. The sword is split sides. Family on one, Jesus on the other. Family, mom and dad over here, and Jesus over here. My kids over here, and Jesus over here. My friends over here, and Jesus over here. All these people that I know and love and have relationships with over here, and Jesus over here. That's the split down the middle. And what he's doing here is saying, now which side will you choose? Which side will you go? When that happens, if that happens, and you have to choose between mother and Jesus, who will you choose? If that happens, and you have to choose between father and Jesus, who will you choose? Brother and Jesus, sister and Jesus, child and Jesus, who will you choose? You're at odds, you're at variance, you're against, and you can choose to keep following Jesus, or you can choose to go with your family. Which way will you go? How loyal are you? Are you that faithful to Jesus where you'd follow Him even if it meant your family was against you? He says in verse 37, If you choose mother and father over me, you're not worthy of me. I'm not making this up. Verse 37, He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You can't follow me. That's tough. You say, what does that mean? It means the exact same thing this point is. Jesus demands supreme devotion. He demands unrivaled loyalty. He, he demands greater love. Even more than your own flesh and blood. And that includes those closest to us. Jesus will have no rivals. Jesus will not take second place. If you choose family over me, you cannot follow me. You cannot. When we say straddle the fence, <laughs> you cannot stand on the end of the sword. You have to pick a side. It's one or the other. So if it came to it and you had to be faithful to one or the other, which would you choose? Jesus demands supreme devotion. There's no other way to take this. Supreme devotion of his followers. There are not many that are willing to go that far. 
I will follow you. This is what we do with, with Christ. And I've, I've got to hurry. But this is what we do in our Christianity. We'll say, I will follow Jesus. And there's a line that we refuse to cross. Is there, we, we, you may not think that way. But there's, I will follow you up to this point. And if it means me losing mother. If it means me losing father. If it means me losing my kids. If it means, and we'll talk about this in the next point. If it means me losing my own life. I won't go that far. And Jesus says, if you won't go that far. And you set limitations on how far you'll go with me then you're not worthy to follow me you're not being faithful that's what he's saying here and you can sit there and say well it, it, it'll never happen we live in america my family will never be at odds against me i'll never lose friends i'll never lose family it'll never happen don't worry about it josh this is just in in that time but understand this we choose lesser things over jesus all the time I don't want to get into the practicalities of how often you choose. This is, this is application. Something on this side over Jesus that is so small and insignificant. But we do it all the time. So Jesus demands supreme devotion. Even to the point of losing family. Point number two. I showed you the supreme devotion in, in being faithful to Christ. Let me show you the self-denial. The self-denial in following Christ or being faithful to Christ. And it's in verse 38. In verse 38 alone, because he says, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You see that? He just says the same thing. You can't follow me if you don't have supreme devotion to me. He said that in the first point. And you cannot follow me. If you don't take up your cross, if you don't, and that's what that means, is to deny yourself. You say, what does it mean to take up your cross? When you think about a cross, the first thing that comes to your mind usually is a, a steeple on a church that has a cross on top of it, or a stained glass window that has a cross on it, or a, a necklace that you're wearing around your neck that has a, a cross on it, or a, a tattoo that you have on your shoulder that has a cross on it. We see crosses all over the place. Everywhere we go, we see crosses, but that's not what they thought of when he said, take up your cross. When he said, take up your cross, the disciples wasn't saying, he means get a necklace. He means put a steeple on our church. When they heard cross, get, get, stay with me here. When they heard cross, they pictured, this is what they thought in their minds. It was a way of execution. When they heard cross, they thought of the thousands of crosses. That, and they would do this down Main Street in Jerusalem. In, 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 in Israel at that time, the Main Street, they would line the street with crosses. Thousands upon thousands of crosses. They say in that time there was no trees left because they used them all for crosses. And criminals would be hung on these crosses as they went down the street. So the first thing in their mind when they thought of, of, of a cross was criminals taking up their cross and dying in the most excruciating way that you could ever imagine. And everybody walking down through there, they use it as a threat. If you're going to commit a crime, you're walking down Main Street and there's crosses with people suffering all the way down through there. In your mind you're going to say, I better not steal something. I better not go against Rome. I better behave. That's why in my house we set a paddle out for all of the kids to see. <laughs> paddle. And as they walk by, they say, whoa, I better be good. <laughs> Daddy's going to whip me, you know. These crosses were lined up, and the first thing that came to their minds was excruciating pain. Walking down and seeing these people dying in the way that they're dying. 
So a cross was, get this, if the sword was a symbol of division, then the cross is a symbol of death. He's saying here, and he that is not willing to die is not worthy of following me. That's what it meant to take up a cross. He that is not willing to die he that won't be faithful to me all the way to the point of the ultimate sacrifice of death is not worthy of following me. So not only do I follow him in the midst of division between family, that's hard. You see what he's saying here? This is how faithful we've got to be, even if it separates us from our family, even if it takes our lives from us. We must follow him all the way. Faithfulness isn't just church on Sunday morning. Faithfulness is so, so, so much more. And understand me, these men faced both of these. The men that he's sending out would face division with family, and they would face death. We are so spoiled in Christianity in America, and I am one of those, where we don't know what it means to be faithful. It is easy for us to get up and come to church on Sunday morning. Easy. And a lot of people can't do that. And they call themselves Christians. And you can't be faithful to a service? And you think you'll be faithful unto death? Now, I can take you a little bit further. I don't, I don't want to take up too much time. Because I've got a third point that I, I think is very good for us today. But I want you to see what this death is. I love Revelation 2 when Jesus told the church to be faithful unto death. What does it mean to die or to carry this cross? First of all, it means to die to self. When you pick up your cross, you're saying, I no longer live for myself. My life isn't my life anymore. At your baptism, what did you say? You said, I'm dying to self and raised to walk in newness of life. And that's what that means. We have to live that life, not just from the, the moment we're saved, but the moment every day I'm dying to myself. And, and that, that death is, is a cross. I'm picking up my cross. I'm dying to myself, and I'm going to live under Christ. I'm buried with Christ, and I, I live and, and walk in a new way. So who died when I went under that water? What's, what's that symbol of? Who is dying? I'm dying and buried with Christ. Who's dying? Me. My greatest enemy, and you guys hear me say this a lot, my greatest enemy is me. My flesh, my thoughts, my desires, my opinions, my wants, all these things that, that I want to do, I must die to those things every single day. I must deny myself. Paul said, I die every day when I get up. Not I, but Christ lives. So every morning when I get up, I've got, you guys ever... <laughs> Seen those cartoons that has an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder? And, and they're sitting there. But it's, I watch cartoons. I, I get it. And on this shoulder, you've got an angel saying, do what's right. On this shoulder, you've got, a, you, you got a, a devil saying, do what's wrong. And they're sitting there listening to both of them, trying to figure out what to do. I've got this. I've got the Holy Spirit on one shoulder and Josh on the other. And Josh is, and his flesh is saying, do this, do this, say that. And the Holy Spirit's over here saying, don't, don't, don't. And what Paul says is when, I, this may sound bad. Paul says, I die daily. That every morning when I get up, I got to put this guy 
to death. That I don't listen to this guy anymore. Before I got saved, you better believe I listened to Josh. I didn't have the Holy Spirit. All I had to listen to was Josh. Josh. And I don't like hearing from Josh anymore. I want to get him off my shoulder. I don't want to hear him anymore. I want to put him to death. Every morning I wake up, there's Josh. Put him to death. Tomorrow morning wake up, there's Josh. Put him to death. Paul said, when will I be rid of this flesh? When will I be rid of me? I'm my worst enemy. I must die to myself. You say, what does that mean? Get with me here. My ego must go. My self-centeredness must go. This guy on my shoulder is saying, it's all about you, buddy. <laughs> Holy Spirit saying, it's all about everybody else. How often do we wake up in the morning and listen to the, the flesh speaking instead of the Holy Spirit speaking to us? My desires must go. My wants must go. My thoughts. <laughs> you hear people say this all the time. Just follow your heart. <laughs> That's the most dangerous thing you can do. Follow God. My heart is deceptively wicked. Who can know it? If I follow my heart, it will lead me into all kinds of sin. I must die to me. I don't want to be me. I want to be like Christ. My thoughts must go. My opinions must go. Just follow your feelings. My feelings must die. <laughs> my rights everybody it's my right i die to my rights i'm just going to be me no no die to me die to self i don't listen to me anymore and when i listen to me i get myself in trouble i used to have friends growing up mom would say and i ain't gonna name the friends don't listen to him <laughs> who are you going with no no don't go with him who are you staying on out with you oh you can't stay on out with him he'll get you in trouble you know who gets me in trouble? Me. I must die to me. Sometimes me wants to say some things that it shouldn't say. Somebody should have said, yeah, I agree, Josh, amen. I must say, no, I can't say that. I told my kids the other day. <laughs> they were talking about what they wanted to do, their desires. Me, I think it's me and Gracie talking. And she, my kids have desires, the things they want to do. And then, and then I looked at her and I said, I have all kinds of desires. All kinds. Sometimes I want to punch people in the face. <laughs> I do. And the world will look at you and say, if it feels right, do it. Well, all right then, let's go, you know. <laughs> if it feels right, and sometimes it might feel right. You want to do that. Some of you are sitting there saying, amen, I feel like punching people too. <laughs> but it wouldn't be right, would it? Those sinful desires that come from me and within me must die. Why don't you punch people, Josh? Because <laughs> I must die to me. Why don't you say those things? Sometimes I do. And I say, woe is me. When will I be rid of this sinful flesh? Man. You ever been there? So when I pick up my cross, I'm saying I'm dying to myself. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I die to me. You guys didn't know that's what you meant when you went to the baptism, did you? 
You thought it was some, and it is a special recognition and an admission that you follow Christ, but it is, I'm dying to me, and I'm living to Christ. You must baptize yourself daily. Even if that means the ultimate sacrifice of laying down your life. My comforts, my health, my home, my job. If I must lay it down for Christ, we must be willing to do it. And again, you'll say, oh, that'll never happen. I'll never have to lay down my life for Jesus. But there's many of us that aren't even willing to live for him, let alone die for him. So that's number two. We saw the supreme devotion that it takes and the self-denial that it takes. Let me show you the last one. Because that cross is personal. It is. I, I have a hard time leaving the cross there. There's no Christians that aren't cross carriers. And you can't get help with that cross. One person per cross. And you must put it on daily. He who does, doesn't take up his cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. And yeah, it could be painful. But it's also positive. That's why I'm showing this last point. He says there in verse 39, For he that find his, finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. It's the upside down of how things work in Christianity. If I'm willing to die to myself, then I can have life. But if I try to live for myself, then I find death. So he's saying here that there is a reward. There is a benefit from following Christ, from dying to yourself. And that's, the, that's where we're going with this last point, because I want to show you not only the supreme devotion and the self-denial, but I want to show you the special discovery. Because he says that, and you say, where do you get that word discovery at? He says there in verse 39, he that finds his life shall, shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. That word find is discovery. You discover that if you do this, you discover that if you, if you deny yourself, you discover that if you devote yourself to him supremely before anything and anybody else, he comes first. If you do that, there is a discovery that life is so much better. That there is a reward to those who do this. But let me ask you to turn with me to, to Mark chapter 10. I want to show you this. It's, it's, it's basically the same passage, but in a, in a different way. Because I, I know what's on our mind. As I'm telling you to do this, there, there wasn't a whole lot of amens going around in here today. There's not a whole lot of people smiling at me today. And I'm supposed to give up family. There's going to be division, and there's going to be maybe even death. You know, <laughs> this, this is not your feel-good sermon of the year, you know. Uh, this one might get shared twice. <laughs> this isn't getting preached much. This isn't your Joel Osteen sermon. Death and division. That's what you can get when you follow Jesus. But I want you to show, to show you what, what we can discover here. Mark chapter 10, look in verse 28. And Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed you. You see that? We've left all and followed you. Peter's saying here, we've given, given up everything we have for you, Jesus. Peter did. He gave up job. He gave up family. He gave up friends. He gave up money. He left it all. And all these disciples all did. They had nothing left to give. They're sitting there emptying their pockets and saying, we don't have anything left to give, Jesus. We've given everything that we have. And in verse 28 here, he's asking Jesus, what do we get out of it? 
He's, and it's a logical question. What's in it for us? What do we get? We gave up everything for Jesus. What do we get? And Jesus here, right here in these next verses, will tell them the benefits of following Him. The discovery. Here's what you'll get out of this. And He will say in these verses, and I want to read them to you. I think you'll love it. That the gains far outweigh the pains. He'll show them here that the the crowns outweigh the crosses. He'll show them here that, that we get more in return than we ever gave up. Look what he says. I, I love the phrase here, a hundred times more. I'll give you a hundred times more than you ever gave up. That's so good. Look what he says. I think you guys will love this. I did. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, and you guys know when he says verily, he's saying this is very important. Verily I say unto you, there is no man, great phrase, no exceptions. No one will miss out on this reward. No man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. You see that? goes right back to Matthew 10. We've lost all those things. We've gave up everything for you, Jesus. We, we, we've, there's been division in our families. We've lost jobs. We've lost homes. We've lost food. We've lost everything you could ever imagine for your sake and for the gospel's sake. We've lost it all. We, what are we going to get back? But shall receive a hundredfold. I, if I were you, I'd write a hundred times out beside that. Shall receive. You've gave up everything, but I will give you 100 times more in return. I'm going to take my pen out and write it, because I just want to show you guys that this is, this is good. A hundredfold, one zero zero times, underline. Whatever you've lost for my name's sake and for the gospel's, I will give you in return a hundred times. You say, that's heaven. That's heaven, guys, right? He's going to give us, we, we, here it's death, here it's division, here it's miserable. Keep reading. You, 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 you with me? But he shall receive a hundredfold when? Now in this time. Now in this time. In this world. Not in heaven. Because he, he's going to say there, now in this time. You, you bear with now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions, and then in the world to come, eternal life. So he's saying here you receive a reward here. We're discovering there is a reward here for your faithfulness. And there is a reward in heaven for your faithfulness. We have both. We have it here and we have it there. You say, what is the reward here? Is this prosperity? Is Josh now turning into Joel Osteen? No way, Jose Osteen. <laughs> That's his brother. <laughs> I don't know where that came from either. Here and there. There is a reward for our faithfulness here and now and there in eternity. He's giving us a reward for our faithfulness. You say, what is that reward? Look what he says. I think you're going to love this. If you're faithful to him here, he will reward you here. 
but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, and look what he says here, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. You say he's giving us all those things? You better believe he's giving us all those things. You say explain that to us. Number one, he's giving us a family reward. I love this. You remember the sword that we talked about that split us right down the middle? And we lost mothers, and we lost fathers, and we lost brothers, and we lost sisters. We lost family on this side, and we chose to follow Jesus. And on this side, it's not just Jesus. It's everybody else in the world who chose to follow Jesus with us. And everybody on that side now becomes, you with me? They now become my mother, my father, my children, and get this, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I may lose one or two brothers and sisters, but in the church, I gain hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's saying here. I lost family, but I became a part of the family of God. And being a part of the family of God here in this world is far greater than being a part of any family that you've lost. You say, I don't believe it. It's bigger and it's better. And the family of God is better to us than any family in the world will ever be to us. You may lose family, but you'll gain an even greater family. A family that don't love you, that won't pray for you, that's going to cut you off because you follow Jesus. This family over here will welcome you with open arms and be everything that you need. I can give you an example. And I... Just a couple of biblical examples. Jesus said, when his mom was outside knocking on the door, and they said, your mom is outside. And he said, whoever does the will of my father, he is my brothers and sisters. Paul said in Romans 16, I like this, he said, greet Rufus and his mother and mine. Rufus's mom has been just as much a mother to me as she has been to Rufus. There's some people in this church right now that the only family they have is a church family. There's people in here right now that the only family you have is the church. And it's the greatest family you could ever imagine. They welcome you with open arms. They'll love you. They'll support you. They'll encourage you. This is right here the greatest family you'll ever have. I'll even go further. It's not just a family reward, but he says the needs that they have. Because it says you have houses. (laughs) You see that? A hundredfold now this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. You say, what does he mean by houses and lands? That family that, that, that has now welcomed you into, the, into, their, into their church with open arms, you know what? They live in houses, and they have lands. And what they get out of, those, out of that land is food and the needs that you have. So when you're welcome into the family, everything that they have, mi casa es su casa. That's the best Spanish I can do right there. And mi stuffa es you suffer. I don't, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think that was right. (laughs) Don't correct me. But what is mine? Didn't they do that in Acts chapter 2? 
In Acts chapter 2, they all showed up and they were all in one place. And they said, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. If I have money, it's yours. If I have a home, you can stay in it. Whatever I have, it's all yours. You gain a family and you gain all the stuff that they have. What's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. If you need it, you can have it. If I need it, I can have it. We all share in the family of God. Whatever you've lost, you've now gained it all back a hundredfold. If you've lost one family member, get this, we have a church of over a hundred here. You've gained a hundredfold in family here. I like that. What a reward. This is so true because don't we take care of each other in the church? I've heard people say it and I've said it myself. I don't know what people do without a church family. And I've seen it and my wife can tell you. She's not sitting over there and I'm glad because that's Spanish stuff. But... <laughs> Somebody will tell her, but anyway, she'll tell you, my kids will tell you, I'll tell you. I have found in church the greatest family in the world. Let me just go through a few things. I wrote these down just as I was getting ready to come up here. My experience. I left the First Baptist Church in Pound. You guys have heard this story before. I was a youth pastor there. I left there with me and Steph and two kids, Gracie Bell and Isaiah. And we took off and moved to Lynchburg with no jobs no money, and we were just doing and following Christ and doing whatever he wanted us to do. And I, I left the church that Sunday, and I remember getting up in front of that church and saying, I don't know how we're going to make it, but I'm going to trust God in this. And there was a lady in that church who sent us $5 bill, a $5 bill once a week, every week, the entire time we were gone. And there was sometimes that's how we shopped, was that $5 bill. But it met our needs. We never gave up anything that we didn't gain. I could go further in there, but I, I want to move to Appomattox now. When I became a pastor of a church in Appomattox, and I left behind mother, and I left behind father, and I left behind sisters, and I left behind friends. I left behind everybody I knew and everybody I loved. In pound, uh, everybody knows me. Some of them love me. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved to Appomattox to become a pastor, and I, I don't know anybody, and I can't. There's things I need help with. And when it come farming season, we had every deacon in that church come and back their truck up and dump out everything they got out of their farm. Just sit there it was. And I, hadn't, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And, and there they were. And they said, do you need help with it? And they carried it in in buckets. They carried it in our house. And we ate better there than we ever ate in pound. And I left every one of my friends back behind in pound. And then I had this friend, and I, I, a biker. He was in a biker gang. And he got saved. Long ponytail, covered in tattoos. And the last memory I have of him is him sitting Indian style in my house, eating McDonald's and helping us put all of our stuff on our U-Haul and waving at us as we left. The, one of the greatest men that I could... And he became a friend. I lost friends, but I gained so many more. I had women in that church, older women, that they would come up to me and say, I know your mom's in pound. Let me be a mother to you. Let me be a grandmother to your kids. And they take care of me and they take care of my wife and they take care of my kids. You say, Josh, you're making this up. I'm not. Ask anybody that anybody in my family. They know. They know. Old Archie, man, that biker. 
we still sit and talk about what a, what a guy he was. I walked up to him and I said, I, I took a church in Big Stone Gap. And with tears running down his face, he said, I don't want you to leave, but I'll help you pack the U-Haul. What a friend. I never lost anything that I didn't gain a hundredfold. And then I come here, and I've got brothers, and I've got sisters, and I've got mothers, and I've got fathers, and I've had every need that I've ever... I mean, there's people come to me and say, what I have, you can have. All the time, every day. I mean, people just coming up to me, what do you need? What do you need? I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing, and it's not just for pastors. It's, it's whatever I have is yours, whatever you have is mine. We share here. Let me give you another one. i got time for this one. When I went to California to go to school for two weeks that summer, I had somebody in California call me, a man in California called me and said, you come here for two weeks, I'll give you the run of my house, and you can have the keys to my car. And for two weeks, do whatever you want to do. Wow, you know. This guy don't know me. My mom's saying, don't do it. <laughs> and I get there, and those people in their houses, they, they invite you, Christians invite you in, and they feed you, and they give you steak, and they give you fish, and they're, whatever I have. Well, my, my little girl went swimming in their pool, just, I mean, just over and over and over. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I've got hundreds of houses across this nation that any Christian would welcome me in anytime I needed it. Anything you've lost, you've now gained in the church. That's an amazing thing. This is so true. And, 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 to, and go with me. I, I know that I'll say this. I'm so rich. We're rich here. He has rewarded us for following Him. Watch what He says in Matthew. I, I wanna, it's the same thing, just worded differently. But watch this. I've got to finish this passage before you guys get mad at me and quit taking care of me. He that find his, finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. It's, I can't. He that receiveth you, you've received me. You've received my family. You receive him, you, you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man. See, they're just receiving. They're welcoming with open arms into the church. They're taking care of and giving things to and supplying a house and supplying food and being the brother and sister that they've always, that they lost. They're receiving it. And, and as you receive it, you receive a reward. And I receive a reward. There's just rewards being, being given and receiving. It's just an amazing thing that he says here. Shall receive a righteous man's reward. Down to the smallest, if you give a drink. If you give a drink to somebody, you'll be rewarded for that. You say, I can't give a house. I can't give a money. I, I can't give you farming supplies. I, I can't give you these things. He says, listen, if somebody gives you a cup of water, they'll be rewarded for it. Wow. There is a reward to those who follow Christ. And it's here and it's now can you imagine those people who are not a part of the church how they're missing out on some of the greatest rewards that God gives and then he says let me, let me go back to Mark 10 and just close with this but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time and I would underline now in this time 
houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands of persecutions. And then in, lastly, he says here, in the world to come, eternal life. There's a reward here and now, and there's a reward there and later. It's the best of both worlds, is it not? If that statement doesn't describe the rewards we get, it's the best of both worlds. We get it here and now, and we get it there later. We get both. Some people say, oh, life is so bad here. You get your, I, I've got a great life now because I've got a great family here that God has given us and takes care of us. This is amazing. And I'll say this before I get into the eternal life. If there's anything you need in this church and you're sitting there without, you come and tell me and we'll make sure we meet that need. Because that's what a family does. We are a family here. And then there you get eternal life in the world to come. If all we got was a present and now, it'd be worth it. <laughs> it would. But there's more. We get eternal life. We were riding down the road yesterday and passed a graveyard. And Christian looked out at it and he said, uh, if you go there, you die. <laughs> and Emma said, what? <laughs> and then she said these words. She said, I don't want to die. And Christian responded. And I told him to be quiet before I knew what he was going to say. <laughs> it's true. And he said, when we get to heaven, we won't have to die. And Emma never said another word about it. That's all she needed to hear. And that's what he's offering us here. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper, mansions of splendor, crown of jewels, river of life, saints of old, foundations of diamonds, and on top of all that, Jesus Christ. That's what we got to look forward to. We've got the greatest blessings in the world here and now. We've got the greatest blessings in the world here and now. And we've got more to look forward to. So let me say this and I'll close. Following Jesus, we will see. Now and in the end. Is all worth it. There's nothing that we give up. That we won't gain a hundredfold. So now we can, we can give up family. We can give up our own lives. We can go all the way to the end. We can be all out. We can be unswerving. We can be loyal. We can be faithful. We can pledge our allegiance to Jesus and never back down because He will reward us here and He'll reward us there. And all that we've given up will be worth it in the end when you stand in heaven and you say, I was blessed in life. I am blessed in death. I am thankful to God for all that He's given. I'm glad I gave it up. It'll all be worth it. Every sacrifice, every struggle, it'll all be worth it. Just to hear him say, <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. It'll all be worth it. So two things, and we'll close. If you're here today and you're a Christian, I ask you to do one thing for me and one thing only. One thing. This is it. As we do an altar call, as we play music, I want you to either sit in your pews or around this altar. And I want you to be with me praying, God, help us to be faithful. Please help us to be faithful to you. No matter what it means, no matter what it costs, no matter how far I have to go, help me to be faithful to you. He wants us to be faithful. He will help us to be faithful.
please, God, help us to be faithful. All I want in life is to be a faithful pastor, a faithful man, a faithful father, a faithful husband, faithful to you. God, help us to be faithful to you, to him, and to him alone. And if you're here today and you're lost, you know what Jesus would say today? He'd say, follow me. If you're here today and you're an unbeliever, he would say, follow me. And he wouldn't just look up here and say, follow me. I believe he wouldn't be casual, he wouldn't be laid back, he wouldn't be take it or leave it. I believe it would be urgent. I believe he'd look at you with urgency in his eyes, passion in his voice. He'd say, this is the most important decision that you've ever made. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to go the way you've been going and the way of the world, or you're going to have to follow me. And I urge you today, I know he'd say, please follow me. Please follow me. Please make the right choice. Choose you this day who you will serve. Will you follow yourself and the world, or will you follow me? Maybe even with tears in his eyes, he'd say, follow me. And he'd want an answer immediately. No waiting. Proverbs says, do not boast of tomorrow because you don't know if you'll have it or not. Do it today. Follow me today. So I ask you to do one thing. As the music plays, I ask you to come up here and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. What a blessing it is. These are some hard words. Hard words. But I believe they're blessed words. I was amazed by what this taught me this week. Things that come to my mind, how you have given me what you promised me hundredfold and I pray for us as Christians here today that you would help us to be faithful followers of you help us please it's demanded of your followers to be faithful help us to do that help us as men to be faithful husbands faithful fathers faithful to you in everything that we do help the women here be faithful mothers, faithful wives, faithful to their parents, faithful to their kids, faithful to you. Help us as a church to be faithful. Please. And for those in here today, God, that's lost, and in a room this size, there's always somebody. May today be the day that they decide to follow Jesus. Work in their hearts. Work in their minds. Show them that it's all worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the music plays, go.